You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Welcome to Books and Beer. Welcome, Dude, Miguel. Back <laughs> off. You wanted me to give the intro. I gave the intro. Welcome oh, to Books and Beer. Oh, hey. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I'm sorry. This is part two. We're of Harlan uh, Ellison. We're recording part two of Harlan Ellison right now. Uh, Who are you? I'm Andrew Hilbert. I am a writer. I'm an I, I, I am an editor. I am I am the greatest thing ever to exist ever in the history of the world. I do not piss without getting paid. I'm gonna take a fucking piss. Don't get paid for it. And that's Zach Chapman. He is writer extraordinaire, editor extraordinaire of time travel tales from Chappie Fiction. I only, I I mean, I also only write if I'm getting fucking paid for it. Dude, the energy level is crazy right now. Miguel Villa. And I'm (laughs) I'm Miguel Villa. And if I ever see you, I'm going to fucking do a body slam. Uh, Folks, and you don't want that, trust me. (laughs) You're going to have some sprained ankles. (laughs) We're going to have to put you down. I'm going to have to call Miguel over to hold you down while I twist your neck. (laughs) Welcome to the second episode of Carl and Nelson. This is the one where we're all fucking drunk. This is the one where... uh, We've had a couple old chaps. Yeah. Thanks to uh, Oscar Blues, yeah. uh, our sponsor. Yeah. Old Chubb for the old Harlan Nelson. Rest in peace, homie. Rest we, in pour peace. It out. we poured out the old Chubb for you. <laughs> that You won't be able to see that one. That's poor, though. Wait, this has got to be a meme now in our show. As it, became, it was gushers at one point. Now just... He's never problematic. This is a Patreon-only episode. <laughs> All right, repent, Harlequin. Repent, said Harlequin. the TikTok man. That's the one that I like the least. Oh man, who wants to give the synopsis? This this one's actually um, probably, this this one is uh, actually probably the hardest uh, literary fiction one that we read. Um, I, I think I think because it's. Very, um, it is kind of very expository. It is very concise. Um, it took me two times to read this one because I fucking hated it at Interestingly first. Interestingly, too, I, I took twice to listen to it because, because it's hard. The first time it's it, like the well, first half is boring is slow. and very, but it, it, the second half, the second half oh, story is stands alone. Honestly, the, the, the first, the um, the first half is almost. All world building, yeah. or not the the first maybe quarter is all world building, yeah. and it's it's and it's exposit, expositing in a very literary and awkward way the way the society works. Yeah, and I don't uh, like it. I don't like it either. So somebody give a it, okay. It's it's basically a far future. Everyone's a a worker bee. 
and um, the main character is a mix between Batman and the Joker. Right. And also that society runs on this time system. Everything is super scheduled. Everything needs to be on time precisely. Every second you're late gets a second shaved off your life. And the Harlequin is someone who's protesting that. He's a crazed maniac. Um, And he throws... Jelly beans yeah. across the street. $10,000 worth of jelly beans. No, only $100,000 worth. $100, but wait, where did he get those jelly beans? Because they, hadn't been, they haven't made jelly beans in years. Where the fuck did he get them, though? Yeah, for The TikTok man, as a character, I thought that was... I thought that was... A, it was an interesting take on bureaucracy and all that kind of stuff. Well, I, I felt like the TikTok man was like an advanced AI that kind of tried to run... But he couldn't find the Harlequin. Well, yeah, but it wasn't. Yeah, it just wasn't good enough. It was like a, uh, an amalgam of uh, bureaucracy and AI and society yeah. trying to find him for years and years and years. And the um, Harlequin's this uh, um, this figure that's like kind of like a uh, an anarchist. In fact, I don't want to. He he's like a mix between the Joker and. Um, that Alan Moore character, V, from V for Vendetta. Mm. He's, a, he's a lot like a... V is an anarchist. He's very similar to V. For me, this is the story that Jack Nicholson's character in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest would have wrote. Mm-hmm. Would have written. Because that, that's what it feels like to me. That, uh, and in the end, they're, they're kind of similar, you know? Um, the Harlequin ends up... Getting lobotomized, lobotomized and you know, spoiler alert for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, that's what happens to our boy. Yeah. It's very depressing. Right. All of, everything we read by Harlan Ellison, yeah. there's really not a not We can a definitively say that, what did I say in the first episode, that like Harlan Ellison's stories are like uh, about, where you said that um, uh, here's a hero crawling out of the hole. That's a, uh, not Asimov. What do you? Yeah. That's uh, so. So Vonnegut's graph of the story was: hero finds himself in a hole, climbs out of the hole. Kafka finds himself in a hole, remains in the hole. Harlan Ellison is society is, is a hole. Yeah, and there's no there's no and it's a circular. You there's no climbing out of the hole, and you find out when you circle to the other end that you're still in that fucking. You hole. lose traction and you fall back to the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I like th- that scene in The Dark Knight Rises where he goes back down, and he, but he just, it's like Batman, but he just never gets out of the hole. You also, born in the hole. <laughs> I grew up in it! What yeah, was it's that? It's actually darkness. But, uh, try, try again, sweetie. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't care. Don't, don't, don't quote Bane great, if you don't know Bane. He would make a great uh, Commissioner Gordon. I think you'd make a great commission. Oh, because of a mustache? Yeah, man. Dude, don't. don't. Mustache and beer gut, dude. You just fucking kill. I didn't say about Oh, yeah. Pretty soon you say, oh, you work at a coffee shop, too. Oh, shit. Shit. I was Fuck, I do. Yeah. I, and, I, yeah I, and by I, the way, grind your beans before brewing it. Okay? By the way, all part two episodes, we'll all be drunk. <laughs> Every single part two episode, we're all fucked. Here's, here's a little secret, guys, about books and beer, okay? In case you didn't know. All episode part one and part two are 
are uh, recorded on the same day. Chronologically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're not drunk first and then no. sober later. So the TikTok Although, man. So so so, so, so so here's the funny thing about Harlan Ellison is that uh, there's like a libertarian kind of message in these kind of things. It's against society. It's anarchic. That's not really in vogue anymore, is it? I don't. <laughs> I know? don't think the, that. The toxic mix. I, I don't man. think that Harlan Ellison is a libertarian. Well, but libertarianism didn't really exist. In the same sense, in the 70s. Sure. I mean, I think that libertarianism during the Reagan era or during a Republican era means something very different than uh, libertarianism during, like, Obama era. I think that who you see as running as libertarians after Obama are basically uh, fucking dollar menu Republicans. Mm -hmm. So I think... Libertarianism sometimes gets co-opted by because it's one of those other parties that, that's not the main party. It gets co-opted by whoever else is not in the White House at the time. I don't know. Maybe that that's just like maybe a shitty hypothesis mm-hmm. for. But I I think that Harlan is more concerned uh, with society than he is concerned with politics. Well, no, no but, but, but I'm not taking it from a political perspective. I'm taking it from a, a I'm taking it from there seems to be a commentary on bureaucracy. There seems to be a commentary on efficiency. He's a rebel, right? He, so he values an individual, yeah, re- over this communal idea, yeah. And, and we were watching that YouTube video. I showed it to you because you're a little man, okay? He has this idea, he has this thing about political correctness, and the funny thing is. You think you're living in, in a unique time in, <laughs> in history. You know, the political correctness idea is coming out now. You know, it, it's in vogue to talk about political correctness. But I remember in the 90s, you might be too young to remember the 90s, little uh, boy. Uh, <laughs> but I remember the 90s, political correctness was a big deal. Yeah. And the Harlan Ellison commentary we watched was probably early 90s, late 80s. And it was like, you can't do anything these days. For instance, I had a guy, let's just call him Mr. Johnson, a midget, write me. And he told me, every time I had a midget, it was a bad character. And I looked over the thousands of stories I had written, and I had two midget characters. One was a hero and one was a villain. And uh, the guy said, I want to be, we prefer the term little people. And Harlan Ellison said, look, I'm 5'5". I'm a little person. You're three foot. You're a midget. (laughs) You know, so... Today, obviously, that would be on the un- the decidedly unwoke position. Yeah, he might yeah. be a proud boy. Well, let's say the internet might consider him a yeah, proud was- boy, regardless of his actual affiliation. Yeah, he just when he was saying that he just wants to say what he wants to say, regardless of who he hurts or you know who uh, what people say that. You know that's not cool. Like he doesn't, he he doesn't want to take the time to look through somebody else's eyes. Well, I got I got a question for you though. Do you give a fuck about hurting uh, Gavin McInnes or the 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 founder of Proud Boys? Do you do you give a fuck about hurting the Proud Boys with your opinion? I don't know. I, I can tell you. I don't know too much about the Proud Boys. So I can tell you. So my with my opinion, no, I don't. I won't give a okay. fuck about. I mean, I. But, like, but let's say this, okay? 
it's one of those issues that's just so, it's so not in the actual conversation of day-to-day life, right? Where, obviously, Harlan Ellison knew he was making a joke in that. Like, it was yeah. a long setup for a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. It was a punchline. <laughs> right. It was, was a long was setup up for a, a joke. Yeah. Exactly. So, when it comes to those kind of things, I think there's... It's 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 you, hard, right? It's, it's hard. It's hard because you want to be compassionate and you want to care about people, right? But I think a lot of humor is about hurting other people. Like yeah, the, it's, it's about punching up and not punching down. Well, if you're punching a midget, I don't know. We're I, cutting that. Yeah. <laughs> Look, okay, here's the thing. It's about... Uh, I would say this, is that uh, it's obvious Harlan Ellison values the individual. It's obvious that he doesn't value these ideas of, oh, every time you have a person of with a deformity or any of these things, uh, he doesn't think that that is important to a story. He What he's writing is fiction, and... Whatever he decide, however he decides to portray the person, that's his prerogative. And you need to understand it as a reader that he's writing fiction. That that, that that's his position. Um, he's obviously averse to groupthink in all in all systems. Uh, he he pointedly called out skinheads. He pointedly called out conservative commentators when he was talking about political correctness. But he did comment on liberals, right? Yeah, he did. He um. He, he said a, a civil rights leader. I think Mike. Um, I don't know. Well, he, but, but, but he was kind of pointing to this whole idea of things. I would say he's a highly humanist individualist, which might be a position of privilege for a white male to, to take. However, I don't think that his position is out of malice. I think his position is out of I value the individual over the group. So. One thing about Harlan as a human being is he is a five foot. He, he's a five foot five. He's, he's a five foot four Jewish person that was beaten up constantly as a kid. So I think he has this mentality where he has little man syndrome and he has to prove himself, and whether that's. It's a, a toxic attacking. masculinity. It is. It is. Yeah. It is. It is I mean, toxic masculinity. Um, he's, but but it's not all on him. It's on society. The, the too. dozen the dozen fucking assholes that beat him up when he was a kid. But if they, he, that fucking created the asshole Harlan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, it the, all, everybody who's saying all its political correctness, all those people that are complaining that they can't say what they want to say. It's just utter disregard for other people's feelings. And I feel like if if political correctness had a different... If it was just phrased differently. If it was just... Instead of political correctness, it was just uh, regarding other people's feelings. Whatever. Whatever. It would be different. But people tie political correctness with actual politics. Well... And, no, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. No, no. And it's just... It, it gets tied up with all that sort of stuff. And then you get these... 
you know, legit racists who are decrying political correctness and they're saying, oh, well, I can't say what I want to say. When in fact, what they want to say is just straight up racist bullshit. Well, that was not the case. I'm not saying, but, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, yeah, talking about but, but let's But let's make an important distinction here is that where Harlan Ellison is an individualist, a white supremacist is by definition not an individualist. It's a person who values a race and a community over all else. Right. And so where I say Harlan Ellison talking about these individual libertarian sounding things today, whatever, it is decidedly different than a white supremacist talking about freedom of speech, political correctness, because they're not valuing an individual. They view people as groups. They view themselves as groups. Yeah. Whereas Harlan Ellison valued the individual over all else. Now, are there flaws in that thinking? Yes. But to pin it in the same kind of, to kind of like paint it in the same broad strokes as, as a larger political correctness thing, those are two very different things. When a Nazi says, oh, you guys are snowflakes, you, you, you believe in political correctness, you don't let me say that, you know, different races are inferior and I have a perfect race. That is decidedly different than a person who's saying, I value the individual over a group. Because a white supremacist is all about the group at the detriment of an individual. It does not respect an individual's characteristics at all. It only respects the fact that there's, that, 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 that there's some genetic thing that makes some, a different group of people superior to another group. And that is anti-individualist, in my opinion. What, what, I, what I think the, the problem is, that I, I don't think Harlan Ellison is racist. Obviously, yeah. he's not. But the thing is... When you lie down with dogs, you're going to get fleas, right? If you take a stance and you, you have that stance and you look around you and you're like, oh, shit, I'm surrounded by racists who are taking similar stances, then you might want to rethink your stance. Well, and that's why I have to say you have to take in the context of when he said those things. That was way before the that this... Research. idea got co-opted by the Proud Boys and by the alt-right and by the skinheads and the neo-Nazis. Yeah. We're in a scary era. And, 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 and for what I can see is that people talk about political correctness and snowflakes and all this kind of shit. But the right wing, you look at a guy like John Del Arose on Twitter, he's a fucking snowflake. By his own definition, he's so worried about... You know, it's just like... Everyone's looking in the mirror and pointing fingers as if it's somebody else. Uh, um, so, um, oh wow, what a little guy! Oh wow, what a little guy! <laughs> oh wow, oh wow, a little person. So this is um, a male's take. Oh, would you look at that? A male's a male a white male's take on uh, Frankenstein. Are you proud, boy? God damn it. <laughs> I like a oh how interesting, a little man, a tiny yeah, man, a tiny man. I, right. I actually really like this story. I did too, and I do have to um, give a shout out to uh, um, Jeremy Zoll because he's the reason why we listen to this story. Uh, he called Harlan Ellison uh, about a year ago and got a story. From him for the 500th episode of Starship Sofa. So you can listen to that story for free. It's a uh, a, a Nebula winning story. 
And 2010 is when it was written. 2009 to 2010 is when he yeah. won the award. And, uh, yeah, it's a, I thought it was a great story. And uh, Jeremy, we interviewed him. He talked to him on the phone. And he talked to that asshole. And he got a story from him. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get sued. He didn't so get sued. So congratulations, Jeremy. Yeah. What's up, you Jeremy? You did it. Um, this story was really this great. This foster's for you. Yeah, this foster, yeah, Foster's Australian. No, yeah. I'm kidding. We're just drinking Oscar. We're, we're drinking Old Chubb. We're drinking. We're drinking Oscar Blues. We never drink that trash. Yeah, we only drink Oscar Blues Brewery around these parts. Yeah, yeah, Oscar Blues. Oscar Blues again, just 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 for posterity's sake. Um, this story was great. Um, there's a religious bent to the story, though, too. You know, and he said, I would never, I, I'd never say anything about religion. You know, he, when he talking about the PKD story, he was talking about, uh, in the afterward, how, how he didn't really like the religious aspects of it, but he appreciated the way PKD was, was exploring it. This was an interesting story because when he talks about, oh, how interesting a tiny man or whatever, the guy who created him uh, has to kill him. Right, and he and he says, "I am even a t- I am a tinier man than he is when he has to do it." Yeah. And there's this like there's this uh, rejection of God in that story, um, which growing up in a cult with an angry God uh, that meant a lot to me. Well, my might be not so religious as it is anti-religious. Well, no, no, it is anti-religious. It's a commentary on religion, but someone who grew up in a very strict religion. Uh, the idea that God is tinier and and more petty than its own creation mm-hmm. is a powerful image. Yeah. I don't know how it struck you guys, but it struck me as a commentary on my own childhood. I mean, that's really beautiful. <laughs> I uh, that's that's really a really good way to read the story, and I didn't read it that way. Um, the second time I listened to this story, I was concentrating more on it as a. Um, retelling of Frankenstein mm-hmm. from a male perspective and how he called him did he call him mother or did he call yeah. him God or something? Call like him that? mother. He called story. him mother, which is fascinating to me mm-hmm. because the story is it is Frankenstein rewritten with a male well uh I guess Frankenstein was a male character creating man. A man yeah. And this is a very similar story where um a man creates man and society cannot fucking handle it. Mm. And so they destroy it. They destroy... They're not welcome anywhere. This new life. Yeah, they're not welcome. They have to flee. It's a very short story. I highly recommend it. I I love the the fact that they're like, we went to Detroit and even Detroit didn't want us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He called like the scum of Detroit. Yeah. yeah. Even failing cities like Detroit, Detroit, Las Vegas... Yeah. Um, this was a more recent story. This was in the last ten years, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he—he, he, uh, I was listening to it. I didn't read it. Yeah, I listened to it on Starship Sofa, and he said something about like Kanye West. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. I, I Kanye love, West. What the yeah. Hell? <laughs> it was weird because he wrench, he mentioned Kanye West and uh, Ozzy Osbourne mm-hmm. or, or Black Sabbath. Yeah. In the same sentence, and it's like. Oh, yeah, Kanye's I, definitely were, better. Were you just like Wikipediaing? Dude, like, no, but the thing is, sick ref, bro. What's new? What's new in <laughs> these days? Kanye West is the only figure close to what like a classical rock star is in today's society. So it's no to me. It's like 
There's no, of course, Harlan Ellison knew who Kanye West was, even if he didn't listen to Kanye West. Yeah. Because Kanye West is like this larger-than-life figure. I like how an 80-year-old man in 20, 2000, 2009, 2010 references and writes about Kanye West. Yeah. I fucking love that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's 2010, Kanye. This is pre-MAGA Kanye. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> yeah. We all still liked Kanye at this point. Pre, yeah. Pre-Proud proud Boy yeah. Dude, Kanye. This was Kanye 2020 Dude, Kanye. the new Kanye album was still dope, though. I like the old Kanye. I mean, I, I like Straight the old... Straight from the go, Kanye. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I like the old Kanye, too. But I think the new Kanye is pretty dope, too, though. Uh, I, I mean, not in his interviews. I think his music is good. I so. haven't... I, I, didn't listen I actually him, think that his interviews are god tier, and everyone should fucking watch that TMZ thirty minute interview where oh he starts god. crying. I think he's an idiot. He just just doesn't know. He ha- he has emotional issues. Well, and Harlan Ellison is a man who respects individuality, and Kanye West certainly a is fucking individual. a singular individual within society. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> One of like twenty three black. Voters that voted for Trump. I I don't know that that, that I would I would number it that low. And well, I, him and uh, Amorosa <laughs> and uh, the girl. Yeah, from, right. Amorosa <laughs> was like uh, she's an inside woman. She went in there. She's undercover, right? Or no? Dude, well, wait, no, she's, she's, a, she's an opportunity. Republican. This is, yeah, how, this, this is how deluded I am. Okay, I feel like the Omarosa story. Is just another Trump ploy to create this fucking soap opera. I think that that Kanye fuck the world. What I'm saying is fuck the world. TMZ's why am I talking? Why are we talking about this? <laughs> Kanye West TMZ is just a ploy because it came out a month before his new yeah, album. Yeah, well, of course it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. He's a consummate capitalist. He's yeah. this, perfect. The scoop de poop was just a ploy mm-hmm. to get everyone to buy that new album. Just like his kids, man. He had those kids just to sell albums. That's all. God damn it. Hey, hey, hey. I don't... I'm not going to... He can believe whatever the fuck he wants. The truth is, he's a goddamn multimillionaire. So, there's probably aspects of Trump's policy that he actually likes. That we have no fucking concept of. Well, that's... He was on Jimmy uh, Fallon just a week ago or two weeks ago. And Jimmy, okay. no, hey, Fallon or a fucking moron entering another fucking moron. <laughs> One of the Jimmys, I don't yeah. know. Well, I just idiots entering idiots. That's, the, that's uh, all it is. The Man Show Jimmy, whichever yeah. one that one is. Oh, Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a slightly more intellectual. <laughs> yeah, moron. yeah. He's, he's not. Uh, well, he's Jimmy, not Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon is Jimmy Fallon. Fallon. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon literally <laughs> asked to touch Donald Trump's hair. Yeah. Well, he was on. He was on with him, and uh, Jimmy Kimmel asked him, "What has?" Trump done for black people, and he uh, Kanye West couldn't say anything. He was just like, <laughs> I, he's nah, like, bro. I don't give a shit. He he did shit for me because I own like some stock in Nike or whatever. <laughs> all right, fast forward. All right, the, all right. So the next story we read, well, I heard was I uh, I have no mouth. I must scream. And I must well, scream. hey, we'll do a quick. I highly recommend you, motherfucker. I, I I recommend listening to the Starship Sofa episode 500. I thought it was good. Check it out. I love it. What up, great dog? I, I don't think anything that Harlan Ellison, that we've read of Harlan Ellison's was bad. Yeah. It was all good. 
Except for Repent, Harlequin. No, 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 I mean, even that was good. The second half was <laughs> great. The second time I listened to it, it was good. Yeah. All of this is better than Vance. So. Then what? Try Vance. again, sweetie. Then who? <laughs> Jack Vance? Oh, Vance. Jack Vance, yeah. But Gene Wolfe, though. And Gene Wolfe. Dude, fuck <laughs> you, dude. All right. All right, so you were saying so I had no... Yeah, so the next story we well, I heard was uh, I had no... Uh, mouth. I have no mouth and I must scream. Yeah. Right. Uh, what'd you think of it, Andrew? Dude, this right here to me was my favorite story that we read out of everything. And it's one of those things where these all the characters are being tortured. There's no happy ending. Yeah. It's just total... I mean, there's a gratuity to it that's, to me, I found uh, totally enthralling. One thing I'll say, it's not... When we go gratuitous, it wasn't as gratuitous as... That um, right. Jack the Ripper, but there was a gratuity in his hopelessness. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I liked what he did here as opposed to what he did over there. Yeah. But I guess you needed it in the other story. All right. For the ending. Go ahead. This little bitch over here has something to say. No, no, no. I I like it. I don't think I like it as much as you guys, but I I think it's great. Um, you want to? It's definitely gratuitous in the more torture. Uh, it's I don't porn. want to say it's torture uh, porn. Tor- it, it, it is torture porn. It it, it revels in it. Um, I don't think it has as much to say as the other two story, the other three stories that we mentioned. I don't know that it doesn't have anything to say. I I, I feel it's, like, it's longer. Yeah, it, it drags it's, on. No, it's long. It drags on. It is. Hopeless. It's hopeless. No, no, no. All he, of all, all of, of Harlan's right. stories it's hopeless. are hopeless. Right. But we watched the interview where it's like, oh, science fiction is about positivity. It may be bad, but we're still here tomorrow. That's inherently positive. It's like it's yeah. absolute bullshit. Now nah, that was because a his bullshit quote, yeah. dude. His shit yeah. is absolutely hopeless. It is dour. Right. right. But the thing is it's captivating. There, no, it's captivating, but there's this idea that you have a power to do anything. You have the power to be whatever you want. Sure. You vote. One man, one vote. That's the ideal. Uh, vote or die. Right, exactly. But it's just like... An individual... While he's highly individualist, he's a cynic. And and, and he, he seems to believe that people are within... They're confined with their own uh, reality. I think that... We're dropped into something that cannot be conquered. He thinks that that maybe the individual is can has the capacity to be highly sophisticated and moral and create art and be beautiful. But society, I think Harlan's a, view of society is fucking cesspool... It's a, suppressive. It, it, yeah, yeah. And um, can, can we get a little bit into the plot of I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream? Because it, it, it is about the, the the big picture here is about an AI that's just torturing the last like f- human. C- couple humans. Yeah. There's on like five Earth. of them. Yeah, there's five. 
Uh, were they the last of the humans, or were they? They're the, the last only that we know. They can get. Okay. Yeah. I think they're the last that we know of. The AI hates humans. Couldn't do anything, but he, he took these humans and tortured them. Yeah, and it's not ever absolutely it, clear what the motive of the AI. It, it means other than they hate humans. Yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of uh, Black Mirror, the latest season, the the very first mm-hmm. episode of is it season three or four? The latest season was probably season four, right? You, you listen where, where, where the guy is on the computer program, where he DNA. creates AIs, and he's he uses the DNAs and he creates AIs. It's a reverse of that. Mm-hmm. It's so a human thinks it's okay to just torture these AIs. Um, it's it's the flip side of that, mm-hmm. written fifty years before it. Right. Um, it's oh, it's yeah. an AI that thinks it's totally cool to just torture these humans, yeah. the, the the ones that are left. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I just don't find it as compelling of a narrative as uh, as the other um, as as the other four, and it has that same bit of world building where it just it gives you very minute, very small pieces. To where it takes a couple thousand words for you to read until you understand where we are in time and where we are in the narrative that these humans are indeed. Um, it's piecemeal given to you that these humans are in this AI existence yeah. and they are being tortured and they don't have, you know, that's it. That's what I like about it. I like that I mean, too, but I, I, it totally took apart the individual. It, it took away the answers, even though the answers are right there. The answer is that there is no fucking answer, dude. You're stuck. You're totally powerless. Um, this is another story that brought in God, mm-hmm. right? Because they're stuck in this AI or this whatever it is construct, right? And uh, they, they th- at first they think, well, he is God. And then they come and find out, well, no, he's not God. He's just a AI program. But he's just as good as God. To them, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And then fast forward to the end, and um, the main protagonist figures the, the, the way that he can stop the, uh, the um, torture is by killing everybody else. So he takes away the pleasure of the AI, right? Yeah. He kills all the his, his companions, companions and all, and he thinks that's going to stop it. But really, w- what the AI does is just continues to torture that guy. Yeah. Now he's by himself, and they, and, and this is body horror. Yeah. This is definite. W- w- was this what you were saying? Yeah. Th- this th- one came up, right? Th- yeah, that one came up. When I was reading this, again. I'm like, shit, this is body horror. Like, I can't believe we didn't. I know we we always read a lot, and we can't cover well, everything. We talked about that story going on a different episode. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I still enjoyed it. I think it's a little bit long-winded. Um, this was probably the most depressing. I think it was depressing. Because the way it ends, I mean, he's he kind of gives away the ending in the title of the story, which is a great fucking title. Yeah. Great title. I actually think his titles are kind of like, they're, they're too much almost. Like, yeah. I don't know. Repent eloquence, but they're always there. It's always almost it's almost always a line in the story. Um, 
I don't know. It's just hard to separate these stories from whatever's happening in the world. And I feel like everyone... I, I feel like I feel particularly powerless within everything right now. You just compare it to three years ago. I didn't feel, you know, powerless. Mm. The day-to-day of the news didn't shock me or surprise me. Right. Even, how, even though it was super dark a lot of times. You know... The continuation of atrocity in the world, it doesn't matter who's president. There's drone strikes and all that kind of stuff. But there's a certain kind of chaos of everyday life in the last two years that makes Harlan Ellison's work scream more uh, relatively to our day-to-day life. You know what I mean? Uh, There is a hopelessness that is pervasive among people our age right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that might sound stupid or whatever, but no, I agree. But, but I think there's some truth to that. I think he's, has this unique ability to tap into, um, human beings as a, uh, living organism as a macro mass organism, uh, I mean, I've said society, how he critiques society multiple times. That's what I think is so compelling about his work is like, while he uh, idealizes the individual, his critiques tend to be on the society and community. Um, I mean, this one's a little bit different than the other two. Or the other three, but um, yeah, I mean, it's still so really great. I I recommend everything that we've read yeah. this, and everything this, that we watched. This yeah. one feels intersectional between uh, body horror and cyberpunk a little bit. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what um, cyberpunk what you need to to be cyberpunk, but it's got like that. Um, you know, you're inside the computer sort of thing. You're inside this. There's the AI, that sort of thing. So it it, it kind of brought together a couple of episodes that we've done. Well, well God, um, AI uh, programs that are so advanced that can be interpreted as gods was, I think, first one of the first visualizations of that was uh, Neuromancer, mm-hmm. where where the AI is so advanced, where it's like a god, yeah. and that's what we have here. But this was before Neomancer. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's years and years. Yeah. There's a very strong anti-authoritarian bent in Ellison's work. Uh, you know, and it might be construed as libertarianism today, but I don't think I'd box it in that easily as libertarianism. Um, highly individualist, hum- humanist. Yeah. Yeah. Humanitarianist. Uh, humanitarianism, bruh. But I, I think that, you know, it's an important, it's a strong voice. I'm actually very surprised that uh, we don't, we, we don't grow, we don't grow up reading him in the same sense that we read Kurt Vonnegut. And, uh, and I think it's a shame, but what can you do? History's history, man. Yeah. I've been impressed with the anthology that you put together and also the, 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 you know, short stories that we've read. Has has he done novels 
Or is he primarily short stories? I mean, he's done novellas. novellas. He did uh, A Boy and His Dog, which was adapted into a movie. Yeah. We talked about that. Um, primarily. He did a sequel to that. Uh, I don't think he's... I don't think he's done a complete novel. Okay. Short stories are important, though, dude. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm not taking yeah. anything away from it, but... Well, the, uh, I Have No Mouth and I Must Breathe is a novella. I think it's... It's like... It's long. It's long. Yeah, it was like... Well, I heard it on audio and it was like 45 minutes or whatever. Yeah. So that's, you know, got to be a couple hundred it, pages. It, so when we were doing those audiobook things, I'm pretty sure that he was narrating them, right? Allison? Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I don't oh, know if I heard that. any of them. That not not the about. ones that I listened to. Mm. Or, I mean, I read... I Have No Mouth and I Was Screaming. I, don't, I, I haven't listened to him do his own stuff. That would make sense, though, right? Because he's the only one who could really read his stories. Correctly. Well, I, I, I don't know that, that, that he's the only one, but I do think he has a very jo- George characteristic Krob, voice. George Crobb did the uh, uh, audio... For uh, episode 500 of Starship Subway. Yeah. He's a skeptic. So. He's a big dude in the uh, on uh, the skeptical community. So. Whoa. So explain that further. The skeptical community or just like uh, yeah, people? Skeptical are, people who just don't sci- believe anything they hear? Scientific. No, I'm going to have to check. I'm going to have to Google that. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure I believe in that too much. Yeah. yeah. Nah, I'm, I'm going to Google that when I get home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What does that mean real quick? Yeah. Uh, the skeptical community is... Skeptic or skeptic? Skeptic. Skeptic. The skeptical, yeah, yeah they're, they're really into skeptic. Yeah. The whole skeptical. different shit right there. Whole different God shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're more into, like, uh, empirical evidence, things that can be proven. Okay. Uh, things that are, like, real versus... They're obviously, they're pretty much all atheists. And, the pro-science. They're very pro-science. They're very pro-empirical that. science. Let's board. have one of those motherfuckers on the podcast. I agree. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, I mean, the, was there another story? I think that was the last That's one. That's it. I mean, let's wrap it up. I, mean, I, I give it a high recommend. Oh, yeah. Harlan Ellison, I think, is required reading. Not just for Should genre. be in high school. Yeah, not just for genre nerds, but for everybody. Yeah. I mean, this, this is great stuff. I was going to say, it speaks to Harlan Ellison and... The type of stories he picks for for his anthologies and the type of stories he writes, that we can have this long ranging, like all over conversation about him, and it's yeah, I really I, I enjoy what he read. I, I enjoy what I read from him, and I'm looking forward to reading some more about him. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely a recommend for me. But Dangerous Visions and everything he's written so far. When it came, you know, when it came down, we read Michael Moorcock. I thought, oh man, I love Michael Moorcock. And Gene Wolfe was like, oh, I love Gene Wolfe. I gotta say, Harlan Ellison like became like really shot to the top just because his perspective is so interesting. He's such an interesting character. Uh, he's hard to ignore once you know who he is. You like him more than Michael Moorcock? I like them both, but I think Harlan Ellison, when it comes to being digestible to most people, well, Harlan Ellison, stories are more digestible. Yeah, Harlan Ellison is way more digestible. <laughs> Descending opinion. I wish I, you could see Zach's face. I like Harlan Ellison a lot. I think that sometimes his prose it focuses too much on um, s- summarization. He summarizes shit. 
he does a lot of telling versus showing. And I know that I get it. You can tell things very concisely um, versus showing something. Sometimes that takes like two or three paragraphs versus you can tell something in one sentence. Um, So that's why I tend to like Moorcock. I tend to like Wolf. Um, I like those other guys a little bit better. But I do think that Harlan Ellison, um, as far as like uh, the the grand concept of some of his stories, all of his stories have like uh, just these enormous concepts that he confines into like 3000 words. Mm. And that's really beautiful. Um, But unfortunately to do that, he has to just, sometimes he just has to say like society is shitty, like almost verbatim in a sentence, Mm. Um, which I'm like, eh, um, but that's just me. I, I I like people who tend to be perhaps a bit more verbose. Well, that's 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 all fine and good. But Gene Wolfe was also saying society's shitty. Yeah, and, and it took him hundreds of thousands of words to say it. Yeah, but I I think that <laughs> okay, we'll say this. I think Harlan uh, oftentimes is not a craftsman. He's not a craftsman. We agree and, on that. And, and I prefer. People who are craftsmen and Vance, despite what you say about his plots and his narrative, he is a fucking craftsman. The sentences that he constructs are fucking beautiful. And uh, sometimes Harlan's sentences, dude, eh. we have the earliest Jack fan stories you're going to say are have more beautiful sentences. So maybe not, maybe not the oh, earliest. Okay. I mean, you, yeah. you read. The very right. first book that he right. wrote. Right. But I will say, read okay. read the Jack Vance Treasury. Read people's commentary on Jack Vance. Like, the way he writes architecture is fucking beautiful. And, yeah, a lot of it is imagery. He'll, he'll spend two paragraphs writing about the way a castle looks. But I just fucking dig that. Yeah. That's just me. Two and, we're at two and a half hours. Yeah, so let's wrap it up. Because this motherfucker... Like, Harlan okay. Ellison is <laughs> a must-read. He might not be a craftsman, but he's still good. Yeah. Uh, so what's the... the our next episode is going to be horror movie novelizations? 80s slasher horror movie novelizations. And you have links up. Because I ain't going to buy any of that shit. No, there's links up to audio, and then I have the books... And we might be doing interviews. We might be doing interviews. Interviews as well. We'll Although, I I do want to revisit, and we don't have to do this immediately, but I do want to revisit Michael Moorcock, because I dug dug that shit. shit, shit, It's so weird you dug that and you did not dig Diner. That's all. This guy's whack. It's so bizarre. But I respect your individuality (laughs) as Harlan Ellison would. Am I a whack and I'm washed? I think Moorcock would probably love Old Chubb. More cock with low old chub. My Oscar Blues Brewery. All right. Well, uh, say, this is like the nectar that keeps us going because when we don't drink old chub, we go real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we come quick when we're not. Just we like we call that, that old like chub. We call it that uh, whiskey day. That old chub. Yeah.